that's good. I do have to make the obligatory comment about distribution of people. Since we've been talking about this, I see <laughs> the Ashley sort of shifted over here. Um, so we, we do. That, that seems to be a permanent change now. So, I, it, well, it's, it's right from your perspective. Right, 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 right. So we're, we're a little bit more balanced than we used to be. I'm still going to be over here, though, because this is, this is where the most of the people still are. So, well, we do live in a, in a representative republic, so, I mean, I have to do that, right? Um, so, this, this was a, uh, preparing the sermon was, <laughs> was kind of a hard go and, and, and kind of also sort of a not go at the same time because uh, it took me until, I don't know, Thursday or so to decide what I wanted to talk about. I just sort of kept coming up empty of um, this is the last in the Gospel Stories series. Uh, I think we can actually, here we go. Um, and I asked Jake, actually, on Monday, um, while, we're, while we're down at Malone, I said, hey, Jake, is there something you'd like me to teach on? Because, I'm, you know, usually I have kind of a couple months in advance, I have an idea. And he's like, no, man, you, yeah, whatever, you can talk about what's going on in your life, you know. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great, but that's, you know, that's going to take five to seven minutes, which is which is fine. I mean, everybody would love to get out early. But, um, so I just kind of sat and I said, oh, God, what, you know, what do you want me to talk about? And so anyway, along about, along about Thursday night, I'm like, oh, you know what? I could talk about, this is maybe the, the good opportunity to talk about my favorite gospel story, um, which is the parable of um, the parable of the sower. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because uh, my dad's side of the family uh, is in Oklahoma, has been in Oklahoma for a long time, a couple generations, well, three, four generations now back. Uh, and they're farming, farming a ranch land, uh, so mostly wheat. So we get to talk about wheat a lot today, which is great. Uh, it's really funny, actually, since, I've, since I, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about then. Every day since then, there's been lots of interesting random conversations about grass and, and wheat and seed, and I'm like, oh, hey, maybe, maybe God is actually going to do something with this seemingly, like, nonsensical idea of, a, of a, a sermon that doesn't shape up to be actually particularly all that spiritual, but here we are. Uh, so that is actually a picture of, the, uh, of, one, of the, one of the plots of land that, that we've worked out there, uh, and that is, that is actually wheat uh, in its um, younger state. Uh, it, it's, it, well, we can get into that later, but, um, so if you're, if you're thinking that looks like a field of grass, it is a field of grass, uh, as we, <laughs> as we discussed a little earlier this morning, uh, in our non-Bible study, Bible study, wheat is grass, uh, all grass is not necessarily wheat, but all wheat is grass, and there are lots of different varieties of wheat, um, so if it looks like grass, that's because it is, in fact, a grass, and yes, you can mow it, uh, and you can put your cows on it, and they will eat it. You can put your sheep on it, and they will eat it too, but they'll also pull it out of the ground, and then you won't have a harvest. So don't do that if you actually want to harvest your wheat. Um, so we will, uh, we will start with, oh, oh, I forgot this was in here. Okay, so that's me. Um, just going through some pictures, and I thought, oh, you know, well, since we're talking about stories, so. It, you know, it is, and, and, and oddly, that was taken nowhere near a farm. Um, well, the produce is probably local, but 
So that was actually, I grew up in Hiram, Ohio, so Creed knows it well, um, right down the street from, from the college, because you can't not be right down the street from the college if you're in Hiram. Um, so that's, and Becca, that's what the back porch used to look like. We were, we were up there a few weeks ago, so that's the back porch of that house. Um, and uh, that's Buddy, our little cocker spaniel. That's there, and then so then on the uh, over here, that's uh, that's actually in Akron. That's uh, Derby Downs Soapbox Derby, um, which I raced. Now I'm into IndyCar racing because they got engine. Uh, racing actually began. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm big into IndyCar. Uh, there's a race this afternoon, by the way, which I can't watch live. So if if you know the results of that race and you tell me, I will come. I will find you and I will kill you. Um, I get the replay. I get the replay tomorrow morning. So, uh, but but the racing actually started with the with the Pioneer Derby car, uh, in Cub Scouts, not pictured. Um, and then this is this is actually the year in the Soapbox Derby uh, when I was a little older. We actually did really well. Um, and this was this was the year that we did really well. And we had to kind of cut it off because we would go down to Oklahoma to help pull in the wheat harvest. Uh, and unfortunately, that typically happened kind of the same weekend that they that they did the race. So. Uh, that, was, that was kind of our, our last opportunity to, to do some decent racing. Uh, place 12th, I think, that year. Um, this, is, this is me, uh, probably a little older. I was probably in college at that point. Dad and I are um, putting in some cattle fence. That's a lot of fun. If you, if you want to work real hard, um, put in a cattle fence. Yeah. Uh, if anyone asks you if you want to help build fence, the answer is no. I'm just telling you, the answer is no. Uh, but it is actually quite rewarding. That fence is still in the back. You've, back you've seen that fence. That's the, uh, that's the front side of uh, um, the pasture. And that's me. Uh, when I was, oh, gosh, I got to be like four. Um, and those are petunias. So my, my mom and I every year used to plant petunias in, in the front. And so that's us with petunias. That's what's going on there. And that's a high school um, that's probably the yearbook photo, actually, I think is, is what that one was. So. All right, so back to the word. Uh, a farmer went out to plant his seed while he was planting. This is Jesus talking, for those of you who don't know this parable, for like the one of you who has never heard this parable before. <laughs> Jesus. Pretend I'm Jesus, but just for like 30 seconds. Uh, a farmer went out to plant his seed. While he was planting, some seed fell by the road, and the birds came and ate it all up. Some seed fell on rocky ground because there wasn't much dirt. The seed, that seed grew very quickly uh, because the ground was not deep. But when the sun rose, the plants dried up because they did not have deep roots. Some other seed fell among thorny weeds, which grew and choked the good plants. Some other seed fell on good ground where it grew and produced a crop. Some plants made 100 times more, some 60, some made 30 times more. Let those with ears use them and listen. That is from Matthew. Uh, it's the New Century version. It kind of cut off down there. Um, so this, this parable is actually in uh, three of the Gospels. It is worded slightly different in, in each of them. Uh, everybody puts slightly different emphasis on, um, really on the production of the seed and, and the type of ground that it falls on. Um, so this, this is out of Matthew, and Matthew is probably the most descriptive. He goes into considerably more detail than Luke, who just kind of summarizes. Um, and Matthew then actually goes on, and we're not, we're not really going to touch on it much, but Matthew goes on then um, to, 
to have the, the longest conversation, the longest account of the conversation then that follows between Christ and the disciples, where the, you know, the disciples basically say, okay, well, first of all, we don't understand the meaning of this, and, and, and secondly, why are you always speaking in parables? And, and Christ says, well, you know, listen, these, these people, <laughs> the Israelites, my audience, they're not, they're not in a spiritual condition to really understand what I'm saying, but you are. Uh, he quotes Isaiah, and then he explains the parable, and we'll get into the parable. Uh, a little bit later. Um, but one of the reasons that I really like this, this parable, of course, is with, with a little bit of a farming background. I grew up in Ohio, but with a little bit of a farming background. Um, probably the agriculture that's happening around there is something like wheat. Uh, and you plant wheat at that time. You plant wheat, which grass, just like you plant grass seed in your, back, in your backyard. So you kind of scatter it. Right? Now, in, in modern agriculture, uh, you actually have a soil tiller, and you drop you drop the wheat, uh, depending on your soil and depending on your your, your variety of wheat. You're going to drop it under under the ground at whatever depth. So it's usually, I mean, for for Oklahoma and Kansas, it's usually about an inch. I think is what you're usually dropping it under. Uh, and there's a machine that does that, covers it back o- over. Um, but at the time, obviously, they're not, they're not doing that, and they're not hand-digging little things for all this wheat, okay? And there's, there's a certain amount of coverage over the ground that you need, so you're just walking through your field, and you're in front of your seed. So where your seed falls is, is somewhat, in, sort of somewhat indiscriminate, right? Which is why Jesus is talking about, well, this is where all the seed falls, because it's not being planted. It's being kind of scattered like you, like you scatter your, your grass. Uh, so this is what, after, after you've scattered, this is what it comes up kind of looking like. Uh, and then there's a whole process. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about the process here. Um, so this is this is actually on that on that same same property. So this guy right here, that's not a a remote control aircraft. That's actually um, they're they're prob they're probably fertilizing. They're either fertilizing or, or spraying for weeds, one or the other. Um, but uh, so in modern agriculture, you prepare the ground on the front end um, with tilling. You get out all your rocks, all that good stuff. You turn it over, also aerates the ground. Um, typically, again, in modern agriculture, because we are not resting the soil, uh, if you go back into the, into the Old Testament, um, God talks about in the law, he actually talks about, okay, you have to rest your soil every seven years. And there's, there's actually a, a, a natural reason for that, because the, every, every plant that grows um, takes nutrients out of the soil and also gives other nutrients back. Um, so you hear, you hear talk about crop rotation. Um, one of the reasons, particularly ancient cultures who didn't have access to, you know, things like fertilizer would find success rotating crops is if you can find the right combination of crops, what you're growing this year is taking out nutrients that are rich in the ground and replenishing other nutrients that next year's crop needs. So wheat takes, out, takes a lot of nitrogen out of the ground. So if you're farming wheat and you're consistently farming wheat, you're going to have to replace that nitrogen. So you're going to do that one of two ways. Um, typically what's done is when you, right, right after you prepare the soil, um, you plow it under, you prepare the soil, uh, then you actually just go over it with a fertilizer. You drop your fertilizer and you drop your, you drop your seed. And that's kind of all done at the same time. Uh, but another way of doing it is you drop your, you drop your fertilizer in uh, and then you call the flyboys out from the local airport, and then they, they basically just, just spray the place. Um, now, in this case, uh, I, I think this was actually pesticide spray, so that's, that's another part of the process. Obviously, once, once the, the grass has grown and, and you start, before you get to this point, 
at this point, uh, the crop's taken. Uh, this, is, this is pretty weed-free right here. And these plants are actually probably about eight inches tall at this point. Um, and they're probably already starting to bead out. So you're starting to see the heads develop um, of the... So this is actually... This is the seed production that then becomes your harvest. Um, but once you, once you get to that point, you're probably okay. You're, just, you're, you're banking on rain at the right time at that point. Is, is, is basically... And it's a waiting game at, at that stage. Um, but before that, which is really the stage in, in this field right here, um, there's, there's this constant struggle in the ground because the ground wants to grow the wheat, but it also wants to grow the weeds. And the weeds are all obviously, they're what we call volunteer plants, so you didn't actually plant them, right? Um, and the amazing thing about weeds is, of course, the weeds that take root are always sort of custom-built for whatever the strengths of that, of that soil are. Um, so weeds, you know, you don't have to cultivate weeds because they sort of self-select. If that ground is, is really ripe for growing thistles, you're going to get a lot of thistles in the ground, and they're going to struggle, and because the thistles have all the right nutrients, that's why they're there, um, they can choke out the plants that you want. So there's a couple of ways of handling it. Um, one way of handling it is simply to spray. Another way of handling it is, um, is the hard work of, you know, you go out there with some gloves and you, and you walk over your field. That's not good for, for large, obviously, farming operations. Uh, but that's what we do in our gardens, right, or, or in our backyards. We just go out there with some, with some gloves and we just pull out the weeds and we want to get the roots, right, or they grow back. Um, so that's, that's the idea. Um, and then this is what the head production begins to look like. Uh, so wheat being a grass, and I'm sure you've seen grasses growing wherever, right? They, they shoot up um, reproductive stems, and those reproductive stems uh, begin to flesh out and look like this. So in each of those green little things is, is ultimately going to be a kernel of wheat. Uh, then, so in the case of wheat, uh, and, and one of the reasons the Bible uses wheat as, as imagery, uh, and, and you'll see this in a few places, uh, one, obviously, wheat is a known quantity to the audience, you know, to, to who Jesus is talking to, right? Wheat is heavy, and in, in this, this part of the world, one of the few plants that grows is wheat. Um, it's hot, it's arid. You're not going to get the production. Your, your wheat heads, ancient wheat heads, would not have looked like this. Um, because you're not going to get that kind of production in, in that part of the world. It's just not going to happen. So um, just FYI, it's going to look a little different. But one of the other reasons that the Bible uses, uses wheat as imagery is because of the concept uh, of resurrection. Wheat, being a grass, uh, it'll grow. Uh, typically in, in uh, modern American farming, we use what's called as winter wheat, quote-unquote winter wheat. So you plant it in the fall. It grows. It actually sprouts. You usually put your cattle on it. Um, then it dies over the winter, but it doesn't completely die. It just kind of, you know, it can't grow any, right? But, the, but what's under the ground, the root portion is still alive, just like your grass in, in your yard. Um, so the actual, you know, what you see dies off, um, but it, the root, the plant itself is still alive, and it just kind of hibernates over the winter, and then when it gets warm, it, it, it replants. Then you take your cattle off of it because you want it to go through its complete life cycle. The wheat will grow. It will die. Um, corn does this too, right? 
it dies at the end of the season, it turns gold, the amber waves of, of, of grain. That's dead wheat is what it is. Um, and that's when you can harvest it. Uh, so this is, a, this is a modern harvester, compliments of the John Deere website. Uh, so that's the latest and greatest. That's like a 36-foot harvester header right there. Uh, and you can kind of see the rows, uh, the rows in, in the wheat. So that's, uh, that's actually been planted um, using, a, using a mechanical tiller. That's how you get those, those straight, nice, clean, straight rows. Uh, and that's also why your, um, your lawn doesn't come up in rows like that, because it wasn't planted in rows like that. That's, it's not the plant. Uh, so anyway, um, the combine performs a couple of functions. So it, it cuts the wheat head off, right? There's a, little, there's a shaker in there. Um, so you have the wheat head, and you've got all those little kernels of wheat in the wheat head. And you have to separate the wheat from the, trap, from the, from the chaff. Uh, and the Bible talks about this, too. They're on the threshing floor, and they have to separate the wheat from the chaff because the wheat is useful, the chaff is not. I can tell you as someone who has some experience in, in, in wheat, the chaff is not useful for anything, ever. You don't want it. It is itchy. It hurts because it's got all these sharp little edges. It's very dusty, so it'll make you sneeze. You can't use it. You can't eat it. You can't really plow it under because it, it doesn't degrade very well. It doesn't produce good soil. You're just, it's, it's a mess. You don't want anything to do with the chaff. And if you let it be part of you, like if you just grind it up, grind it into your bread, you're going to have really, really awful, nasty bread. Can't use it, right? So part of the uh, part of the combine process is there's, so it kind of it sucks up, it cuts off the kernels, and it kind of sucks them up into the big machine. Uh, and the threshing portion, actually, is just a big shaker. It's just a big, like, cheese grater with a bunch of holes in it. And it's just, uh, just like that. Makes exa that exact noise, too. Um, that is the exact noise of a John Deere combine. Um, actually, modern combines are more like of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> um, and so what happens is the, um, sorry, I'm trying to get that so it doesn't fall off. Um, the wheat kernel is heavier than the chaff. And so the wheat kernel drops through the, the, the cracks, uh, the cheese grater, the holes in the cheese grater. Um, and then it's, it's dealt with through a, through a series of, of conveyor belts and yada, 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 and it goes, it goes elsewhere. Uh, and the chaff, which is super light, this goes out the back end of the combine. It's just blowing out the back end, uh, typically with, with the straw as well. Uh, most modern combines cut up the straw as well and they just chuck it out the back of the combine. So you wind up with pretty much just a mowed field. It looks like just this, <laughs> you know, where an hour ago there was 400 acres of wheat and now it's just nothing. It's actually kind of depressing, to be real honest. Uh, we spent all this time, this great field, it's wonderful, and it's just gone. It's just gone. Um, and then, so down here, this is the this is the front. Um, this is the combine header. Uh, now, this is an older this is an older header, but they work on the same principle. So um, these these paddles right here are doing the same thing that the black little like hangy clips do. Um, they're just kind of managing the the wheat stems. So the wheat stems kind of get in. There's a little cutter up here, and that cuts off the cuts off the stem, uh, and then it goes through a series of, of augers. They kind of channel it into the into the thresher, so that's that's what's going on there. Um, and then here, this is just the back of a Chevy two-ton, 1964 Chevy two-ton full of wheat. In case you ever need to know what that looks like, 
That's what a 1964 Chevy two-ton full of wheat looks like. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, so once you harvest it, you take it to the local grain elevator, which is actually part of the economic process, and they, they will sell it up the, up the chain, and eventually you'll get bread out of it. Um, but as far as the farmer is concerned, as far as the wheat is concerned, so the, farm, the farmer is done with it um, once, he, once he delivers to the, uh, to the grain elevator. Now, what's happening in the grain elevator is kind of the second half of, of you know, what the ancients would call the threshing process. So the first, the first part is you separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, and, and here, so there's your, there's your wheat head. There's the actual wheat. Those are the kernels. Uh, and those kernels are embedded in kind of this straw-like hard, that's the chaff, hard substance that you can't, you can't work. Um, so if you're doing this by hand, you actually take the wheat, wheat kernel and you kind of crush it in your hand like this. Um, or if you're, if you're doing it the ancient way, you've got your, you've got your rock, right? And you have another rock, <laughs> and you just kind of, and then you would blow on it, and that would blow away the chaff. Um, so the first part of the threshing process is to separate the wheat from the chaff. The second part of the threshing process uh, is actually to dry out the, the wheat. Um, when it comes out of the field, it's dry, but it's not dry enough for storage, uh, and it's also not dry enough to be ground. You need really, really, if you're, you're going to grind it up for flour, you need really, really hard grain. And so how you do that uh, is in, in this, um, the wheat is actually stored underground. The grain that's in there is actually under there. Uh, and then in order to dry it out and prepare it for market, um, which they'll do periodically throughout the year, um, depending on who's buying, and there's a whole economic process involved that we won't, we won't get into. But um, there's a series of conveyor belts in these towers, and you, you load up the bottom, you load up the elevator at the bottom, that's why it's called a grain elevator, because there's an elevator in there. Um, and you lift it up to the top, and you drop it. And then you load it back up to the elevator, you lift it up to the top, and you drop it. <laughs> so any remaining chaff, dirt, dust, weeds, because weeds, weeds will get in there too, um, fly out. You know, they're just vented out on the way down. The wheat kernels drop, and that also dries out the grain. And, and this is the same process used for wheat, it's used for corn, it's used for just about any, any harvest of grain. Uh, so that's why you see all those grain elevators. And that's what they're doing. So that's sort of the process of wheat. Um, and just, be, just because I'm, I'm interested, and this is, like I said, this is not super spiritual stuff here. Here's some wheat facts for you. Um, this does tie in a little bit. So uh, aver wheat, facts, wheat facts, average American wheat yield is 40 bushels. Um, one bushel of wheat is about 5,100 pounds uh, or 1 million kernels. So that's a lot of wheat in a, in a relatively small, like a bushel basket, like, you know, like that. You know, I mean, it's not... You know, it's a relatively, you, you've heard of a bushel of peaches or something like that, you know. Um, these are not, this is not actually, from a, from a volume standpoint, it's not actually a huge thing. Um, but there's a lot of wheat that, that, that goes into that. Uh, just to give you a sense, 40 bushels per acre, um, the average in, in good wheat ground, so you're talking Kansas, northern Oklahoma, um, uh, your average farmer is doing 1,200 acres, something like that. Um, so that, that's a lot of wheat that's coming through. Uh, and also in, in that part of the country, um, so this is the national average, is, is 40 bushels. That's from the American Wheat Association, uh, who would know such things. Um, in good American wheat 
ground, you're going to get 120 bushels per acre. Um, if you're in northern Oklahoma, southern Kansas, something like that, and you're getting 40, 40 bushels an acre, you're not, you're not going to be planting wheat again because it's not worth your time. Your production cost is going to be far more than anything you get out of it. Uh, so that gives you kind of a sense of the largesse of, of you know, <laughs> the, the volume of um, not just wheat production, but also the reproductive power of, of, of the plant itself. So in, in 2009, uh, U.S. farmers grew nearly 2.4 billion bushels of wheat on 63 million acres of land. Uh, a single kernel of planted wheat produces 20 to 30 kernels of harvested wheat. This is under ideal conditions, obviously, uh, which the ancients don't have. So when, when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking to farmers that aren't getting, you know, anywhere near that yield. They're getting more like 10 um, instead of 20 to 30. Uh, Kansas, the state of Kansas alone produces enough wheat each year to bake 36 billion loaves of bread and enough to feed the world for at least two weeks. Um, and also, just to give you a sense of the economics, around 10 cents of every loaf of bread purchased in the United States goes back to the farmer. Uh, in the United States, we have basically six different categories of wheat. There's lots of subcategories, which we won't go into. Uh, most of what we eat every day is, is what, what they call hard red winter wheat. It's called red because it's red. It's called hard because it's hard. Uh, it's called winter because you plant it in the fall and it germinates over the winter and then sprouts up in the spring. Uh, so most of, what you're, most of what you're eating is, is that. There you go. Oh, yeah. Um, lots of, I mean, I hope you get something out of that. I mean, it's just it's super unspiritual, but I hope you get something out of that. There's a lots about wheat that you didn't need to know, but that is the backdrop. And so, uh, so the, you know, the audience that Jesus is talking to has some familiarity with this. You know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Christ's disciples, obviously, they're fishermen, so they might not be planning a whole lot, but they've, they've seen it done. It's an agriculture society. Um, and certainly, you know, well, he's he's away from the cities actually when he's when he's having this conversation when he's when he's teaching the crowd and so he's probably talking to a lot of a lot of farmers who have done this process. Uh, so the disciples ask him what the meaning of of this this parable is, and Christ responds. So listen to the meaning of that story about the farmer. What is the seed that fell by the road? That seed is like the person who hears the message about the kingdom but does not understand it. The evil one comes and takes away what was planted in the person's heart. And what is the seed that fell on the rocky ground? That seed is like the person who hears the, the teaching and quickly accepts it with great joy. But he does not let the teaching go deep into his life, and so he keeps it only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the teaching he accepted, he quickly gives up. Um, so how do we avoid falling into those two categories? Uh, I wanted to mention that there is something, we, we touched on it briefly, called volunteer wheat. And volunteer wheat is... Wheat that you haven't purposely planted for a crop. Um, so in most cases, volunteer wheat is brought on because you have combined your field and invariably some kernels have escaped. And they get planted back into the ground and they, they start sprouting, usually at inopportune times. Volunteer wheat is very, very dangerous to the farmer, um, both ancient and modern, because volunteer wheat, remember wheat is a grass, will cross-germinate when you're not watching with it, not watching it, with the local natural grass. And it will produce a crop. 
that is wholly unedible, wholly unuseful for anything, and, you know, no good. So if you see volunteer wheat, you get out there on your tractor and you, you bring it down. You plow that under, and if you have to sacrifice some of your good crop to do it, you do it because you will destroy your entire wheat crop with volunteer wheat. Um, there is a, a separation that has to take place between this is the wheat that I want, this is the good stuff, this is what produces a harvest, and this is the stuff that looks like the good stuff, but it's cross-pollinated with unuseful, unholy things, right? The, the, the spiritual reference there being, of course, that holiness, the concept of holiness is a concept of separation. We are to keep ourselves reserved for God, right? Um, so we, in order to produce, right, uh, the harvest from the word in our lives, we need to keep ourselves separated from the world and to the word. So we're in the world, but not of the world, right? Christ talks about that a lot. Um, so just things to keep in mind, right? That has a lot of applications. I'm not going to go into it, but because you're all smart and you can figure it out for yourself. Uh, and what is the seed that fell among the thorny weeds? This tends to be me. Uh, that seed is like the person who hears the teaching. So I've heard the word. But let's worry is about this life and the temptation of wealth. Interesting that Christ uses specifically the temptation of wealth uh, that stop that teaching from growing. So we've distracted ourselves with all these other things that are going on. That's a mighty fine looking thistle over there. I'm going to go eat that thistle. I'm going to grow me some thistles. Thistles are great because they grow really well. I mean, if, you, if you're interested in, in like just growing something really quickly, grow a thistle. I don't know if any of you have had any experience with thistles, but man, they grow, oh, wow, all right? Thistles and pigweed, there's a plant called pigweed, which is taking over the American Midwest, and it's got a lot of wheat farmers very concerned. Uh, pigweed will literally grow before your eyes. You can see the difference between, you know, the height of the pigweed an hour ago and the height of the pigweed right now. It's really, really nasty stuff, and consequently, uh, because it's so tall, and it's, and it's very leafy, it's, it's tall and it's very leafy, um, you can't just spray it. A lot of uh, a lot of plants, you know, you can spray you can spray the um, oh, I want to say uh, pesticide, but that's that's not in this case accurate. But you can you can spray you know basically the weed spray on it, and it, it'll it'll kill the the weeds. And you can engineer those weed sprays in such a way that they won't they won't kill grass like wheat if wheat is what you're trying to, to keep. But they will kill the stuff that you don't want, like pigweed. Well, pigweed grows so quickly, and it's so bushy that it's got leaves underneath the, underneath the wheat, and the spray can't get down far enough to actually kill the plant. So it'll kill the top of the plant, and then in two days, you'll have another fine crop of pigweed because the rest of the plant just keeps growing. Thistles, likewise, grow really, really quickly. And we get distracted by the stuff in our lives that you know, isn't necessarily quote-unquote holy, right? Isn't necessarily of God. But um, in some cases, there are things that need to be done. I mean, there's a legitimate interest. You know, we have to make money. We have to have, you know, that means for most of us that we have to have jobs, right? Um, part of my story right now is that I don't have a job. I purposely quit my job um, because I was working 80 hours a week and spending 30 to 40% of my time in other states. And that's not, it's actually not conducive to marriage, in case you're wondering. So anybody out there? 
And just, just letting you know, I mean, in case you were thinking about working crazy long hours and spending half your time in another part of the country, um, don't do it if you also want to have a happy marriage. Just letting you know. So I don't have a job right now. Well, I need to have a job, right? Um, that's a legitimate interest, but we can spend so much time on those things, right? Um, I think also what tends to happen is we get distracted by the things that, that look like they'll produce really good results really quickly. And, of course, God's, God's economics tends not to work that way, right? You know, like God's economics is, okay, first of all, the ground that you're planting in is a lot worse than you thought it was. So it's going to take a lot more time to get all the junk out of there, all the weeds, all the rocks. You've got to plow it under. You've got to aerate the soil. You've got to get the right moisture. You've got to get, the, uh, you get the right soil density. All of that has to happen before you can even plant a seed, you know? Uh, and, of course, all of us in, in the, the, the ground of our, of our lives and our hearts and our souls, we, we all think that there's fewer rocks than there are, right? We all think that we're more ready for the word to sprout than we really are. And God's like, now, man, this is, this is hard winter wheat. It's a really good result. It'll make some really good bread, but it takes a long time to germinate. Not just the winter, Right? but like years. So we go through these periods of quote-unquote winter in our life where we, we're not quote-unquote seeing fruit or we don't think we're seeing fruit. And God's like, no, I got this. I'm, I'm growing stuff. I'm growing stuff under the ground. It's happening. You might not see it. You might not feel it, but it's happening. I'm laying the groundwork. You got to trust me. Okay? There's foundation work that's going on so that then when we are ready, we start seeing fruit and other people start seeing fruit right, in our lives, um, which is why we haven't given up on Zach yet. No, I'm <laughs> sorry, I mean, I had to, I had to, I'm sorry, <laughs> someday we'll see some free from this guy, but not today, no, just kidding, All right. uh, so the teaching does not pr- produce fruit in that person's life, but what is the seed that fell on the good ground? The seed is, that seed is like the person who hears the teaching, hears the word, understands the word. And the word for understanding here, of course, is not head knowledge. Sorry. Sorry, Malone. Um, it is, we, we talked about this a long time ago. Uh, the word that God uses for understanding is, is experiential knowledge. So it's not just I understand it, it's I understand it, which is a completely different concept, right? Um, the person who hears the teaching and understands it experientially, that person grows and produces fruit. Sometimes a hundred times more, sometimes sixty times more, and sometimes thirty times more. I've actually always been a little curious. Um, if you come from a farming background, this what was that? You do not. I've always, I've always thought this is an interesting phrase. So that person grows and produces fruit, sometimes 100 times more, sometimes 60, sometimes 30. So if you're, if you're in a farming community and you have a plot of ground that you're farming, one of the inevitable things that happens is you look across the road and you see that, hark, the grass really is greener <laughs> on the other side of the fence. 
Uh, and sometimes it actually, it genuinely actually is greener on the other side of the fence. And there's a reason for that, and you might want to look into it. Um, it's really fascinating because purely from a farming perspective, I can take a kernel of wheat, and my neighbor can take a kernel of wheat, and he produces a very different crop from that kernel of wheat than I produce from that kernel of wheat. And there's a lot of variables that go in that, right? Sometimes it's the soil. Um, the, uh, the, the ground, actually, Becca, that, that, that we were at, um, it's actually not particularly good wheat ground. Uh, we produce... Uh, well, back back when it I mean when it when it was actually being farmed, really, uh, it was producing somewhere between seventy five to ninety bushels an acre in a, in a good year, which in that part of the country, I mean, it's way above average, right? Uh, but in that part of the country, that's subsistence farming. You're just you're not you're not doing it. You're certainly not making any money. You're, you might pay your fuel bill with that. Um, but not particular, particularly good good wheat ground. You go a mile down the road, and you got somebody producing 130 bushels an acre, you know, sort of routinely. Um, it's gone as high as 180 in, in that part of the wor- world, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know Becca's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, if you see, let me say, you will be impressed if you see a field that's got a, a wheat field that's got 100 acre, 180 um, bushels an acre yield. Like, even without knowing anything about wheat, you'll be wow, that's, that's a lot of wheat. <laughs> it's just a crazy amount of wheat. And, and the wheat heads are like, you know, two inches long. Um, we're lucky to get an inch and a half, you know. Um, so, I mean, there really, there really is this difference. Um, and it's interesting when you cross that over to the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God, you know, isn't necessarily really concerned with, quote unquote, you know, what's your yield? Right? Farmers are very concerned about their yield, obviously, because that's how they make money. Uh, God is not, not so concerned about the quantity of our yield, per se. He's more concerned about the quantity and the quality of our obedience. He's concerned about the condition of our heart. He measures yield differently, right? So the woman we talked about a few weeks ago, the woman that gave the minimum, you know, Christ says, Wow, you know this is this is the person you want to emulate because she's giving out of her need. Well, there's there's apparently a big yield there that's going on because Jesus is measuring things very differently than than we do. So if you're coming from a farming background, you're thinking, okay, well, so holiness, I I want to produce a hundred times more. But in in sort of in the real world, in sort of an application, I think that looks very different than what we think it is. Um, now, I don't know what to tell you what that looks like in your life. I'm not going to, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Like I said, this isn't, this isn't necessarily the most organized, prepared, or spiritual sermon. Um, but I can tell you uh, that, that Christ obviously does see a difference in, in you know, sort of the, the spiritual yield, quote-unquote, in people's life. But I think he measures it very differently. Um, I think it looks different than what we, what we think it does. And it also, people read into this that somehow, you know, somebody who produces more spiritually is somehow better spiritually. And I don't think Christ sees it that way at all. So I think this is really fascinating, just coming from the perspective of somebody who's seen a bunch of wheat fields produce a bunch of different kinds of crops. 
because his audience is going to interpret this sort of at face value. I think this interprets very, very differently than, than what it does um, sort of in, in spiritual application. So that's very convoluted. That's just my thoughts. Um, and as always, I haven't actually managed to, you know, write a conclusion, write an out. I, I, I can write an intro. I can write a sermon. Apparently, I, I never find a way to get back out. Uh, so I am going to pray us out because that's all I know to do, basically. That's my, my conclusion. <laughs> and I, I, seriously, I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, I hope God's going to do something with that, all of that stuff. And I'm going to pray real fast, and then Jake's going to do his thing because he's the best. Um, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to talk about your creation and your harvest and your spirit and your word. And Father, I ask that you would, um, you would bring your words in our lives to a harvest, whatever that looks like in each of our lives, that we would be a blessing to the people around us, that we would be a blessing to those in need. Uh, Father, we ask that you would help us to prepare ourselves to hear your word. Um, and we thank you that you will grow your word in us. And we ask you to do that, Father, and we ask that you would help us uh, to understand how to help you <laughs> bring about harvest in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.